Wow. Have we been blessed thus far? You know, this has been a full day already. But I cannot allow an opportunity like this to pass without us going to the Word of God. The theme, America, What's Next, is a question that requires an answer. And it doesn't need to be a question mark followed by a question mark. As the Word of God makes it clear about the future of America and then the future of our world. But let us ask for the Lord's leading as we go to his word. Our gracious Father in heaven, you are the great God above all gods. There is no kingdom that will ever replace your kingdom. And I pray now that you'll speak to your people in this hour of remembrance, but in this hour of looking forward, we pray that you'll sharpen our vision by your Holy Spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. America, what's next? As an American citizen, and I'm speaking to many of you, we have been granted by God many privileges. As I sat down in early 2019 thinking about America in prophecy, thinking about the Bible and how God has given us a picture of America, I, I think of America as a country that influences the world. One person said, when America sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. America is a nation, as my wife and I have had, a tra have had opportunity to travel around the world, we have seen the influence of America on many stages. Some we're proud of and some we're not so proud of. But America is an influential nation. And you've heard the ad before, how did America become such an influential nation in less than 300 years? We've been to Europe and we've seen buildings older than our country. We've seen statues older than our country. Most of the world outside of America is older than our country. But America, in the short span of time, America has become a country of influential power. America is also a great nation. You know, when you go to Washington, D.C., and you begin to see all the buildings that represent power, both political power and, to some degree, American pride, you recognize that America could not have gotten where it has if there was not a divine plan in place to guide America to be, as many people would say, a great nation. And that's why even still to this very day, around the world, if there's one country that people want to be able to be a part of, it is America. And we've been in parts of the world where people have said, what can I do to come to America? People have even offered to work for us. Somebody once said to my wife and I, I'll cook for you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you exercise for free if you just simply invite me to come and live with you in America. What a powerful and great country. The other thing about America is America is a leader in technology. Can you say amen? You know, we've, we've created things that have been a blessing on one side and sadly enough, a hindrance on the other. The internet would not exist had it not been for America. The iPad created here in America. Microsoft started here 
in America. And much of the technological advancements that the world benefits from began right here in this infant nation less than 300 years old. Technology upon technology finds its roots here in America. Now, we know the world participates, but much of what we have today found its roots and its birth here in America. Not only that, we think about America and we say America strong. Say that with me. America strong. Militarily, we see men and women that are willing to put their lives on the front line by ear, by land, by sea, whether Marines or soldiers of any particular varying degree, whether Army or Navy or Marine or Air Force or Coast Guard, 24 hours a day, we can enjoy freedom because America is a nation that is being guarded by men and women who think less of their lives and more of our lives. Praise God for that. But America is also a powerful nation. That's why when 9-11 happened and the Pentagon was hit, we thought about the tragedy that shook our nation. But that is the largest office building in the world, the seat of American power. And the things that happen behind those walls 24 hours a day continue to keep our nation a safe place to live. When you look at the systems around the world that are establishing principles of law, we also see America as an advocate. Ask yourself the question, how many times has America been called on to settle disputes between nations? How many times have Americans and their political leaders have been called on to settle an argument in the Middle East or somewhere around the world? Because many countries see America as a voice of support, not only militarily, and technologically and financially, but they see America somehow as a country that can be an advocate in difficult times. But most amazing about America is America is a liberator. You know, my wife was born in England, but I never forgot the day when she became an American citizen, 1991. The difference between being born here and becoming a citizen is something altogether different because she had to know presidents' names, people in different offices. She had to know more to become a citizen than many citizens know on a regular basis. But that day when she became a citizen, we lived in California, and we, we wrapped our living room and our kitchen in red, white, and blue. And when she stood and pledged allegiance to America, to the United States, severing her tie with her country of birth, England, which she still loves, her family still lives there, she said to me, I'm now an American citizen. And she takes that stance proud. You know, America is a country, even to this very day, when we look at the tragedies in the Middle East taking place now, when we look at things happening south of the border and people coming over, whether legally or illegally, people are thirsting to be in a country where opportunity is unlimited, where people can find freedom, be able to go to sleep at night and not worry about their food and their clothing and their bed. America is truly a country of liberation. That's why these words always impress me by the base of the Statue of Liberty. These words were penned by a lady named Emma Lazarus. She said, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. When I read that the other day to my wife, she said, those were some of the words that we saw when we came to America by ship 
five days sailing from England to America. She says, when we saw the Statue of Liberty, we thought we were coming to a country whose streets were gold. Boy, does she have some waking up to do. But America offers golden opportunities. And the question once again is, how did America become such a powerful, influential, technological leader, political leader in less than 300 years? I suggest to you today, it's not coincidental, it's prophetic. Today we're going to look at the Bible, America in Bible prophecy. America didn't happen. America was guided by the hand of God. America didn't come into existence coincidentally because there needed to be another nation. God opened a way in America for the church, for the Christian church, to find a foundation where she can be free, worship in freedom, without fear, according to her own beliefs, according to her own dictates. And how do we know that? You see, God sees the end from the beginning. When you open the Bible, it is not a book that guesses what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, many of us look at the news, a a ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, CNN, trying to figure out the future. Let me make a suggestion. You need to look to God's word to find about the future. Can you say amen? God's word knows the future. How do I know that? Because God knows the future. The prophet Isaiah made it very clear. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Listen to the words of one whose eyes are never closed, who understands how it's going to begin and how it's going to end. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Let that sink in. There is nobody like God. God never says, what do I do next? And then he says the foresight of divinity, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And I love the way that God ends this in quotes, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now, you know why that's important to me? Because many have come along thinking that they could stamp the name of God out of existence, and yet they're buried somewhere and God's name still reigns. What do you say? Many of many men have come to deny the existence of God, but the existence of God cannot be stamped out even in the mind of an atheist. Because why would there need to be an atheist to try to convince you that God does not exist if he did not exist? Do I, need to ex do I need to convince you that chickens don't, do I need to convince you that dogs don't fly? No, because dogs don't fly. But the reason why the devil is so angry with God trying to stamp out his name is God's name is eternal. God's name will never be stamped out. But even more than that, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what is happening. And he also knows what has happened. But the next passage really gives me encouragement. Because, you know, a lot of times I've spoken to pastors and leaders in different positions and different, different denominations, and uh, some have said, how do we know what's going to take place next? Not only does God know, but God waits till just before an event occurs, and he links and he leaks the information to his servants. Look at Amos 
chapter 3 and verse 7. I like the first word. Say that word with me. What is it? Surely. The Bible says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So here's the point. There's nothing that's going to happen in human history that the servant of God need to say, I didn't see that coming. If we didn't see it coming, then we didn't listen to the voice of God. But the Lord said clearly, I will let my servant know before it takes place, surely I will reveal my secrets to my servants, the prophets. And it is up to God when the time is right to reveal those secrets. That's why the book of Revelation is so powerful. You see, John the Revelator, when he was on the island of Patmos in a Roman prison, and they tried to stamp his life out, God gave John the responsibility. And it humbles me when I hear that the apostle John, God gave John the responsibility. And somehow I've taken that personally, not only sharing the name, but sharing the passion with Christ, the one who wants us to do what John the apostle did. But notice what John the Revelator says about God's movement. Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. God said to John, here's what's happening. Write it down. That's why when Pastor Fritz said, we've looked at Revelation together, it's always amazing. We sat down hour after hour after hour. Praise the Lord. Looking at Revelation, seeing the movements of the nations, understanding what's coming, what's going to happen in the near future, what has happened, what is taking place now. When you read the Bible, things become clear. When you read the Bible, the news, you can put the news in a category that you said, God said that, now we see it happening. The Bible is a book that always reveals the plans of God. And when you study the Bible, there are two sister books, Daniel and Revelation. Daniel lays the foundation for the book of Revelation. The way to say that is, prophecy is history concealed, and history is prophecy revealed. Daniel looks forward. John looks back. John also points forward, but he picks up where Daniel left off. These two sister books, hand in hand, speaking as the voice of God spoke through these two men. We find also in the book of Daniel that Daniel reveals the four major world empires. How many empires did I say? How many? The four major world empires. Daniel begins and he picks up in a humble setting in a province of Babylon where he is a servant taken captive to serve time in a province that he did not choose, but God gave a dream to the king of that province that king was the king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He didn't understand the dream. His prophets couldn't tell him. His magicians couldn't tell him. His soothsayers couldn't tell him. Nobody in his kingdom would tell, could tell him what God had showed him. And he, he threatened, if nobody could tell me, you'll all die. And God moved upon Daniel. You know, it's amazing that God always has the right man for the right time. 
And God had Daniel there for such a time as this. And so Daniel came before the king and he revealed the king's vision, the head of gold, the chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And Daniel made it clear. Notice how he communicated this. Daniel chapter 2 verse 28. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven. Where's God? In heaven. Who reveals secrets. There you go again. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the what days? Latter days. Your dream and your visions of your head upon your bed were these. He continues. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And Nebuchadnezzar sat amazed as he began to see that God was unfolding the nations before him, but he was enamored by the gold. He said, I represent the gold. And he attempted to cause his kingdom to be eternal, building a golden image 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. But the Lord said, there's another kingdom coming after you. And one kingdom after the other followed in succession, just as God had revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar, revealed it through the lips of Daniel. But Daniel paid special attention to the fourth kingdom. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Look at what he said about the fourth kingdom. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 40. And he said, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And I'm sure that when Nebuchadnezzar heard that, he thought, do you mean that my kingdom one day is going to pass away and even my kingdom is going to be crushed? Well, as sure as God's word was said, God's word was revealed. Babylon came down, replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire. But God didn't stop there. God reiterated the kingdoms of the world. And the next time he did it, he did it to Daniel in a dream. Daniel had a dream. And Daniel saw the oceans troubled, the waves agitated, which meant God gave Daniel a dream during the time when the world was in agitation. One nation rising against the other. One nation fighting for supremacy over the other. A sea that was troubled. And God made it clear what that meant. Daniel chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of heaven was stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Well, notice, he said they came up from the sea. What does the Bible describe the sea as being? Look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw are together peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So what Daniel was shown by God is during this agitation period, Babylon, a kingdom of agitation. The Medo-Persians warring against Babylon, a time of agitation, wars, battle, bloodshed. But the Medo-Persians replaced by the Grecian Empire, a time of bloodshed and war. 
But the Grecian Empire was to be replaced by another empire. And the Bible made it clear, the Bible made it clear about what these great beasts represented. Daniel 7 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Those great beasts which are for, are for what, friends? Are for kings. Now, why is this vitally important today? Let me make the connection. You see, if we had only known, listen carefully, if we had only known as a nation what was going to take place on September 11th, I guarantee you, we would have been quite different. We would have made our minds up to say, okay, I know this is coming. What should we do differently? But we did not know. Many people were caught off guard. There were many casualties. But God is saying there is no need for us to worry about the future when God is in charge. Can you say amen? So as Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar are given the vision, God begins to break down these four kingdoms. And here you find the Babylonian Empire was the first. The Medo-Persian was the second. The Grecian Empire was the third. And the Roman Empire was the fourth. And if you look in the historical pages, it begins to show us the length and the reign of these kingdoms. You see, the kingdom of Babylon reigned from 605 B.C. to 538. And according to God's word, the Babylonian Empire had a beginning and it had an end. But not only Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire. Notice the red area showing the increase of the size of conquest. The Medo-Persian Empire, 538 B.C. to 331 B.C., growing in size and strength. Gold is weaker than silver, but more valuable. If you notice, the value is dropping, but the strength is increasing. The kingdoms are becoming stronger. And then the third kingdom, the Grecian Empire, from 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. Alexander the Great, one of the best generals in antiquity. He was so great, he brought down massive armies, but he could not control his alcoholism, and he died of alcoholism. But his kingdom was broken into four quadrants. We'll find out more about that in the master class later on. But now let's go to the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, the largest reigning kingdom from 168 years before Christ to 476 years after Christ. What a powerful kingdom. It reigned the longest. It was the most powerful. It was the Iron Kingdom. Let me ask you the question. Is gold stronger than iron? The answer is no. It's more valuable. The kingdoms decreased in value but became stronger in its material. That meant the valuable kingdoms, the influential kingdoms were passing away, but the kingdoms were becoming more and more powerful. And the Bible parallels the description of the kingdom of Rome. Look at Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. And Daniel said, After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, say it with me, a what? A fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had how many horns? It had ten horns. When Rome came up, Rome was a kingdom of ten varying nations. Three of those nations resisted the complete rise of Rome, and when you follow history, Rome brought those three kingdoms to its end, and then it transitioned from a pagan kingdom to a religious kingdom 
But the Bible once again describes the power of the kingdom of Rome. Here we are in Daniel 7 and verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be, said together with me, different from all other kingdoms. And the Bible says, and shall devour how much of the earth? The whole earth. Trample it and break it in pieces. Wait a minute. Let's pause for a moment. Let's pause and think. God is saying in his word that this fourth kingdom of Rome, looking down toward human history, he says the fourth kingdom of Rome will devour how much of the earth? The whole earth. What else? Trample it and break it in pieces. Meaning, translated, there is no kingdom that could withstand the exploits politically, religiously, financially, or socially when the power of Rome is at its best. And Rome went through a transitional period from 476 to 538 AD. Roman, the Roman kingdom, a pagan empire. It transitioned from 476 to 538. It became a dual kingdom. That's why the Bible says it shall be different. It became a religio-political kingdom. And in 538, when I was in high school, I remember one of my favorite subjects was world history. And I had to pass world history to graduate from James Madison High School in New York City. So I studied world history very well. But I was unconverted. I was living out in the world. I was partying, gambling, pool hustling. But when I gave my life to Christ and began studying the Bible, what amazed me is what I learned in world history. I began to see that the Bible was ahead of world history. Can you say amen? The Bible was ahead of the unfolding of world history. So what was happening was already predicted by God. And I studied the Dark Ages. I understood about the powers of Rome on a historical platform. But I was amazed that God predicted how long that kingdom would reign. And we've all studied the Dark Ages. From the year 538 to 1798. And you'll find out why in just a moment. Why that length of time. Rome dominated Europe. The word and the phrase was, even still to this day, if you go to Europe and you fly over the Vatican City, you can still see some of the old roads, as the phrase was, all roads lead to Rome. And when you study history, like powerful people like Henry VIII and all the leaders that existed during the rise of Rome, they had no choice but to acknowledge the political and religious supremacy of that powerful kingdom. And the Bible described in Daniel 7.25 what kind of kingdom it was. How when you tried to resist the kingdom religiously, it always had the upper hand. In, in describing the kingdom, Daniel 7.25 describes that it will speak pompous words against the Most High. What does that mean? That means when Rome rose, it would not even acknowledge the supremacy of God. It put its place in the power and the seat of God. It spoke against the Most High. But for 1260 years, it also persecuted the saints of the Most High. Anyone that stood up against the power of Rome was brought down. Not only that, it intended to change times and laws. It changed the commandments of God, obliterating the second commandment, removing the one about image worship, 
and moving up the fourth commandment, breaking the tenth into two. It intended to change times and laws. Now, why did I say intended? Because the Bible said intended. Because you really can't change God's law. What do you say? You can intend to, but in God's eye, it doesn't change. It robbed the saints of their religious freedom. Christians had to find places in hovelled masses and mountains and rocks to worship God for their own freedom. They had to run from the power and the dictates of Rome. And Rome dominated the world for 1260 years. That's what the Dark Ages was about. Why was it called the Dark Ages? Because the Bible was taken from the hands of the people. They could not have access to the Bible. They were chained at the altars, in the cathedrals, in the massive churches in these massive edifices. And the people had no opportunity to read the Bible for themselves. They had no choice but to believe what they were shown and what they were told. Dark ages, because the people walked in darkness. They had no light. God's word was not shining. And the sad news is, during that 1,260-year stint, more than 50 million Christians lost their lives. And all they wanted to do was to have the freedom that we have here in America, to worship God according to their own dictates. But the power of Rome was a top-down engine, not a bottom-up like ours, not by the people. It was by the powers, by the kings, by the leaders. You read the history of Europe, you find that in the arenas, in the dungeons, Christians were put to death. It became a sport in many of the Roman Colosseums. And why were they there? Because all they wanted to do was worship God according to their dictates. Many were burned at the stake because they refused to acknowledge the supremacy of the leadership of Rome. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see in some of the dungeons, some of the churches there, you'll still see the places where Christians were tortured for their faith. All they wanted was the freedom to call on the name of God and to worship him according to the light of his word. But they had no idea. But this did not take God by surprise either. Look at John chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. The Bible predicted that this kind of experience would come to those who would want to serve God. The words of Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. The time is coming that whoever kills you would think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But people died in the name of God. But they did not die by the hand of God. They perpetrated these, these, these atrocities because they did not know God. God is a God of love. Can somebody say amen? God doesn't kill and force people to worship him. He gives them the freedom to make their own choices. But God was not done. A German monk, a German theologian by the name of Martin Luther, in his pilgrimage to Rome one day, he found a Bible. Reading in the Bible, he found the phrase, the just shall live by faith. And that ignited in Martin Luther's life a determination to make the Bible accessible to the people. And when he began to continue to study, he realized that the system he stood for did not support what God's word had communicated and he launched the Protestant Reformation in the year 1517. The Protestant Reformation began. What was the Protestant Reformation? It was simply a move back to the Bible. Can somebody praise God for the Bible? They said, we don't need the Bible. Martin Luther was 
pushed by God. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Find a way to get the Bible from Latin to German and then make it accessible to the common man and the common woman. And Martin Luther was hidden. Martin Luther was sequestered as he translated the Bible from Latin to German. And God began to turn the light on. God began to increase accessibility to the Bible. And then Martin Luther did something else. He had reasons that he stood up against the power of Rome, and he, and he nailed those 95 reasons to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, called the 95 Theses. But they sought Martin Luther out, and when they found Martin Luther, he was called to stand before the powers of Rome, the religious arm of Rome, the dictatorship arm of Rome, and it was called the Diet of Worms. It sounds like worms, but the Diet of Worms, a German word. And they had said to him, Martin Luther, recant what you have said. And Martin Luther said, as I say today, I stand on nothing but the word of God. I stand on the authority of God's word and not the authority of man. And I want to tell you today, why is that so important? Because had it not been for men like Martin Luther, Jerome, Huss, Zwingli, Calvin, Wycliffe, we wouldn't have the Bible today. But what amazes me is that Americans take the Bible so lightly, yet we don't realize the millions of lives, the sacrifices that were made so that we can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. We can have a Bible on our iPads, on our iPods, on our Android, on our tablets. But people don't realize what it took to get the Bible to today because if the devil could have had his way, the Bible would have been destroyed a long time ago. But he can no more destroy God's word than he can destroy God himself. But why was this power so ruthless? The Bible describes the power behind the engine of Rome. Revelation 12 and verse 9 talks about this powerful engine, this powerful engine that wanted to wipe out the church. The Bible says, Revelation 12 and verse 9, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. His aim was to deceive the world. Can I pause for a moment and bring that to the contemporary times? Today, the aim is still the same. That's why young folk, if you're watching this today, let me say to the young people today, it's okay to have the iPad, but don't allow the iPad to replace the Word of God. It's okay to have your social media, but don't allow yourself to be so socially disconnected that you don't even know Jesus Christ himself. Because as we look to the future, the only hope for America, America what's next, is if we get back to the very foundation and the reason why God raised up this country. He raised it up to be a beacon. But as the Bible describes the dragon... That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. He tried through this power of Rome to stamp out the church. But now we're going to walk together to see how America came into being. Notice Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. The church fighting for survival. The church looking for a way to stay alive. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. 
Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. The woman is a symbol of the church who gave birth to the man-child. The church, the woman who gave birth to Christ, his ministry on earth, he aimed his guns at the Christian church seeking to try to stamp it out. The dragon sought ways to get rid of the church. But how did God preserve the church? Revelation 12 and verse 14, look at these words. But the woman, the church, was given two wings, two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. The rocks in Germany, the rocks in Switzerland, throughout Europe, the church was hidden in the rocks, in the mountains. And when Satan sought to wipe out the church, it is so good to know that God knows how to play hide and the devil cannot play seek. God hid the church and the church survived. Atrocity after atrocity. One Christian died, four took its place. Two Christians died, eight took it, that person's place. The church, the more they were persecuted, the more the church grew. But the text doesn't end there. She was nourished. She was nourished. She was hiding in the wilderness, but she did not die of starvation. The Bible says in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 12, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. God hid the church for the same duration of time that the Roman power was dominant in Europe. God hid the church. God protected the church. God sequestered the church. And, so, and thus the dark ages. The same time frame, 538 to 1798, while the devil was seeking to destroy God's church, God's word, God hid the church. Can you say amen? Why is that important? America could not have the Christian church if God did not preserve it to come to America. Let's find out how. Revelation 12 and verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. You learned a moment ago, what does water represent? Multitudes, nations, peoples, and tongues. Through the counter-reformation, art and music and science and literature, Satan sought to drown out the Protestant Reformation. He sought to wash the woman away. But I want to tell you, God had a ship for the woman to stay afloat in. He kept preserving the woman, but something else happened. And this is where America comes into the picture. Revelation 12 and verse 16 tells us what God did. But the earth helped the woman. The earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Let me make a very important point. When John the Revelator was writing the book of Revelation there on the island of Patmos as a prisoner, I can imagine how the Roman guards must have thought that John was out of his mind. Dragons and water and women and drinking up water, and they probably thought, don't even worry about what he's writing because this man has lost his mind. What they did not know was God was hiding his messages in symbols and signs and codes. If you've ever seen Revelation in signs and symbols, James Rafferty 
And Ivor Meyer, you know exactly what I mean. Signs and symbols and codes. God hid the message so that the message can be revealed in God's time and in God's way. The Bible says the earth opened its mouth and helped the woman. Now, what is the earth? Let's look at this. You see, Daniel and Revelation, both Daniel and Revelation talks about and introduces and identifies a beast with ten horns. And now we're going to begin to see the power of Rome. Remember, four kingdoms, but now we're going to see a fifth one, not a kingdom. Not like the kingdoms of Rome, not like the kingdoms of Europe. A fifth one is going to come into the picture. Let's begin in Revelation chapter 13. Daniel began the picture. Revelation picks it up. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. We read in the word of God. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns, how many crowns? Ten crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. What was the power behind this kingdom described? And you'll see in just a moment what this kingdom represents. What does John contribute to the power behind this kingdom? He makes it clear in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2. And he says, in startling language, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and what else? And great authority. So John begins to join Daniel in unfolding what Daniel saw. Daniel saw it going forward. John saw these kingdoms as they had already unfolded. Daniel spoke from the viewpoint of Babylon, Medo-Persia. John was speaking from the viewpoint of Rome, looking back. And he talked about the kingdom and how long this kingdom would exist. And to connect with Daniel, we read these words in Revelation 13, verse 5. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Look at the math. 42 months in prophecy times 30 days, 1,260 days. And a day for a year, this kingdom that John saw was identical to the kingdom that Daniel saw. John saw it as he was in it. Daniel saw it as it was unfolding. But notice what else the Bible says in Revelation 13 and verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a what? Lamb, and he spoke like a what? Dragon. Now, before I go to the next slide, I want to say this. John saw the resurrected power of Rome, a kingdom that subdued all the kingdoms before it. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece were all ashes under the power of the Roman Empire, this iron kingdom, this kingdom with seven heads and ten horns, John saw the ruthless nature of this religio-political power, and he said, now I know why God raised up the earth to do what the earth was about to do, to open its mouth and help the woman. But look how the Bible described the earth. 
This beast that came up from the earth had two horns like a lamb. Let's pause. When the Bible speaks about a lamb, it's speaking about nobody other than Christ. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So John is saying, God is bringing into existence a Christian nation, a nation that will give the church a place to hide, a nation that will give the church a place to thrive. And when you study history, the only nation that was coming up while Rome was going down is the United States of America. Let's look at the two horns very briefly. What do these two horns represent? I tried my best to find a lamb with two horns, and I think this one works well. The two horns that America offered as an infant nation, a subtle nation, a calm nation, a nation that seemed to be non-threatening on every side. What are the two horns? It offered a government that was based on a republic by the people for the people. In other words, we all had rights. We all had freedoms. Praise God for the freedom of choice. Can you say amen? Now, you know, we can say that with a tongue in cheek because the freedoms that we have always enjoyed are beginning to be chiseled away. But that's not all that God gave to this nation. God established a system of religion, a Protestant nation. Let me understand something. Let me help you understand something. We say we're Christians today, but the Bible, and as God unfolded the, the, the course for America or the purpose for America, we had Romanism on one side and Protestantism on the other. It was born out of protest for everything that Rome stood for. And God gave that home to America. God delivered to America a Protestant church, a Protestant religion. In other words, you can come to America and worship how you please. And during the Dark Ages, look at the timetable. Between, before the Dark Ages were done, before Rome received its wound, God raised up a country in 1776. America declared its liberty. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy to be an American citizen today. My wife and I have traveled all over the world. We go to countries. We enjoy their, woo, their food, their water, their beaches. But when we get on the plane, we say it's so good to be back home again. <laughs> and when we walk through the airport every now and then, the agents at the airport, the security at the airport, the TSA, the people that are in their uniforms when you come through and you show your passport, on a several occasions, the officers there in immigration would say to me, welcome home, pastor. And I wondered, how do they know? Well, they know everything about you. Welcome home, pastor. But God raised up this nation to be an independent nation. And in 1776, we declared our independence from the tyranny of England and from the tyranny of the powers of Rome that was on the other side of the ocean. But I like the way that one of our founding fathers said it, Benjamin Franklin. Notice what he says about freedom. He says, freedom, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men but a right, say that with me, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Benjamin Franklin knew that as they were the signers of the Constitution, they knew that God was giving us something that men could not take away. And more than anything else, America was being gifted with the rights to make their own decisions. That's why when you read the preamble of the Constitution, 
Notice these words, the preamble. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Amen, somebody. But the reason for these words is because they were comparing it with what the citizens were going through on the other side of the pond, on the other side of the world. Tranquility, they didn't have it. General welfare, they didn't have it. The blessing of liberty, they didn't have it. That's why today we praise God for the Constitution. The Constitution guarantees liberty and freedom. Let me tell you something. God has given us the responsibility to do all in our power to secure and support liberty and freedom. What do you say? It's a constitution that says there should be liberty and justice for how many of us? For all of us. And I'm doing all of my part as a pastor to support that you have a right, I have a right. Every one of us has a right. That right was not a gift of man, but bestowed upon us by God. Not a right to do evil, but a right to do good. But in Europe, they didn't have the right to worship the way they wanted to. That's why in our Constitution, in our Bill of Rights, the First Amendment gave us something that America alone was offering to the world. It says, Congress shall make no law to establishment of religion, respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In other words, in America, if I don't like something, I can say it. Come on, somebody, say amen. If I don't agree with it, I can disagree without being fearful of going to jail. But it's changing. And the changes that we see are not taking God by surprise. But I praise God that as of today, I still have religious liberty, religious freedom. I can go outside and preach in the middle of the highway and not go to jail. I can go and stand in front of the White House and preach, in front of the Capitol and preach, and have the freedom offered by this Constitution that I can still name the name of God and not have to be fearful of saying Jesus in public. But while America was rising, something was happening in Rome. And the question is, what happened to Rome in 1798? The Bible describes it, Revelation 13, verse 10. And it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Rome was about to receive a wound predicted by God. What does that mean? God was about to bring the power of Rome to an end. And here's what we see as we look at the timetable of human history. 1776, the rise of America. 1798, the Vatican is crippled. How was the Vatican crippled? Let's look at the pages of history. We find written in the Atlas Obscure these words that described the fall of that powerful engine of Rome, an engine that had power that it could not 
find any place else in engine that was able to say to men, this is how you worship, but God has the final say in all the things that you do. An engine that was going to come to an end because men did not have the final say, but God always had the final say. This is the engine that God had, and God had plans. And notice what we read. It says, the Pope of Rome, Pope Pius VI, was defeated by the French military in 1796, taken into captivity in 1798, and died in Valence, France in 1799. Napoleon's chief of staff, French General Louis Alexandre Berthier, captured the pontiff. He arrived in Valence on July 14, 1799, the 10th anniversary of the French Revolution. He died six weeks later. Now, let's understand this. You might be saying, now, what does this have to do with America? Pastor, Fripps, Pastor Fitz said it. Representative Severin said it. Somehow, the Christian church has dropped the ball. And now, in America, religion has become something that we enjoy as an entertainment, when, in fact, God never raised up religion to be an entertainment, God raised up the church to be a beacon of light in a world of darkness. God raised up the church to let men and women understand the movements of prophetic timetables so that they can see and understand that these signs and movements are moving us closer and closer toward the coming of the Lord. What happened? In 131 years, Rome had no power. For 131 years, the power of Rome was mortally wounded. Rome became a crippled power. But something happened. In 1929, Rome was to rise again. It was through the Lateran Treaty, an agreement made by the Italian government to gift the Vatican City to the power of Rome. We read the words about that transaction, what happened that day. It was called the Lateran Treaty also called the Lateran Pact of 1929. Let me go back. The Lateran Pact of 1929. Between Italy and the Vatican. It was signed by Benito Mussolini for the Italian government and by Cardinal Secretary Pietro Gisparti for the papacy and confirmed by the Italian Constitution in 1948. Upon ratification of the Lateran Treaty, the papacy recognized the state of Italy with Rome as its capital. Italy, in return, recognized papal sovereignty over the Vatican City, a minute territory, just 109 acres, and secured full independence for the power of Rome. Let's look at the picture as it develops. 1929, Rome began to rise again. And the wound that it received began to be healed. And a new world began to be formed because, get the context, in 1929, America was a nation thriving by that time. America was coming up past the roaring 20s, still in the midst of the Depression, fighting through one war after the other. But Rome had no influence. But the power of Rome was about to come back. And so what we see today, there in the Vatican City, it's a city that did not come into existence by happenstance, but the word of God predicted the fall and the rise of the power of Rome. And the Bible describes what would happen 
when that power rose again. Here we read the words in Revelation 13, verse 11. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. This power that the Bible described, the question is, how could a power so large receive a mortal wound and still rise again? Where did it get its power from? The Bible makes it clear, Revelation 13 and verse 2. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now let's do a comparison as I wind up the message. Look at the comparison. The new world, America, and the old world, Rome. Let's compare the systems. In the new world, there was religious freedom. In the old world, there was religious tyranny. Separated. Separated by the pond, as they say it. Separated by two governments. One top-down, the other one bottom-up. One by the people, for the people. The other one by the popes and leaders of Rome. Separated powers. When the powers remained separated, America remained safe. What else did America offer? America was a Bible-based religion. The power of Rome was a tradition-based religion. But that was not all. Let's see what else was that. America was a religion controlled by the church. We have the freedom today to believe and teach and preach whatever we want. Somebody say amen. amen. Because God has given us the church and the freedom to do so. But not in Rome. Religion was controlled by the state. But what else happened? Why did they seek freedom from the powers of Europe? Look at the fourth point. In America, church separate from the government. But in Europe, the church merged with the government. But as I wind up, let me ask the question. A very powerful and pertinent question for today. What does the Bible predict? What does the Bible predict as the future of America. And I want you to pay close attention to this. What does the Bible predict as the future of this great nation? Revelation 13 and verse 11. Sobering words, but the Bible is speaking about this great country. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, America. He had two horns like a lamb, Protestantism and a republic. But wait a minute. Something was going to happen. Two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Wait a minute. America? Religious freedom? Freedom of speech? I can protest without fear of being arrested? America? Freedom to make my own choices? Not America. America could not possibly be that kind of country. Let me say something today. If the Bible says it, if God's word predicts it, we don't have to guess about where this country is headed. God's word is many steps ahead of us. What do you say? So God is saying, what you're seeing today, all the controversies you see in politics, in religion, in the medical field, all these things that are agitating our country, the things that we have once taken for granted are now slipping away. How could it possibly be that even today our liberty of conscience is being threatened? 
Did you ever think that it would get to the place where your government says this you must do and you have no choice? Speaking like a dragon. Why would that happen in America? Because the devil has a name. God protected the woman. God brought the church to America. Do you think that Satan would want the church in America to thrive without any interference from the forces of darkness? Absolutely not. Revelation 12 and verse 17, we know why. Revelation 12 and verse 17, look at these words. And the Bible says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, the remnant of her seed. Who is he angry with? who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. I began with the question, America, what's next? And like Elijah and like Noah and like John the Baptist, I stand here today seeking no approbation and no approval and no support. God has given us the responsibility to see what he has predicted in his word and that we warn Americans and we let the people of God know that this is what is on the horizon. This great country that we see falling apart around us, coming out of one and going to another phase of this pandemic. We see our freedoms being, our freedoms being eroded and we wonder what is taking place. America is begin, beginning to speak like a dragon. But more specifically, more pointedly, the dragon is not angry with the person who's smoking and drinking and carousing and living a loose life. He is concerned about the place where the commandments of God are kept. And where the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, is being promoted. And he wants to break down that wall and cause the church in America to succumb to the powers of darkness. For you see, let's look at this very carefully. Freedom on one side, tyranny on the other. Bible on one side, tradition. Controlled by the church, controlled by the state. Church separate from government. Church merge with government. What you see on one side is about to merge with what happened on the other side. So the question I end with today, how does the Bible reveal the future of America and the Vatican? And this is, these are some sobering words I'm going to share with you right now. Sobering words. But our freedoms depend on getting back to the Word of God. The freedom of the church in America is not based on entertainment. It's not based on feeling. It's based on the truths and the foundation of God's Word. And this is the hour that God is saying to the church to arise and shine amidst a dark world and proclaim freedom that is found only in Christ. But what is America about to do next? Sobering words, Revelation chapter 13, and we read these words in verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 12. Speaking about the lamb-like beast. And he, that lamb-like beast, exercises all the authority of the first beast. 
roam in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. That's why in 1994, 1984, when this transpired in America, people wondered what happened when there was a holy alliance between President Reagan and Pope John Paul II. And the article in Time magazine was, U.S. and Vatican restore full tithes after 117 years. My question is, what would Martin Luther have thought if he was alive that day? A country that gives us freedom, merging with the power that doesn't want freedom? A country that believes in the word of God with a power that does not believe in mostly tradition? What is exactly taking place in America? And for 117 years, they were separate, but somehow a merge took place. And as I stand here today on the authority of God's word, there's a merging taking place in America. We're moving in the direction of the arrows. Our freedoms are going to the base of tyranny. That's why today people are wondering, with all these issues in society, almost all the issues in 2021 are issues that has to do with your freedom of choice, your freedom of conscience. Am I speaking, am I speaking clearly today? If you think it's coincidental, if you think it's just us, it's the entire world. We are all moving in a direction that we know not of. What you see on the left side is soon going to merge with what you see on the right. America is now saying to Rome, we are ready to talk. We are ready to find ways of working together. And let me tell you, this is just the tip of the iceberg. That's why after this, we are offering, offering a master class so that people can understand in more detail Daniel and Revelation, who is Christ and what's happening in these last days. But listen to this quotation as I invite Ryan and Tim to come and join me, to stand by. These words were said by Pope John Paul II in Yankee Stadium. Listen to what he said. He says, willing or not, ready or not, we are all involved in an all-out, no-holds-barred, three-way global competition. Most of us are not competitors, however. We are the stakes, for the competition is about who will establish the first one-world system of government. Did you hear that? The one-world system of government that has ever existed in the society of nations, one-world government that ever existed. It is about who will hold and wield the dual power of authority and control over each of us as individuals and over all of us together as a community. Over the entire six billion expected by demographers to inhabit the earth by early in the third millennium, that's where we are today. The competition is all out. Because now that it has started, there is no way it can be reversed or called off. No holes barred because once the competition has been decided, this is chilling, the world and all that is in it, our way of life as individuals and as citizens of the nations, our families and our jobs, 
our trade and commerce and money, our educational system and our religious and our religions and our cultures, even the badges, the badges of our national identity, which most of us have always taken for granted, listen, all will have been powerfully and radically altered forever. No one can be exempted from its effects. No sector of society will remain untouched. Why am I being so somber today? Because we are on the portals of a world that's about to collapse. You see, 9-11 caught the world by surprise. They didn't see that collapse coming. But by God's word... He does not intend for us to stand by and see the Christian church collapse without Christians being awakened to what's coming. You see, Roger Williams, the one who formed the first truly religious free colony, he said, enforced uniformity confounds civil and religious liberty and denies the principles of Christianity and civility. No man shall be required to worship or maintain a worship against his will. Can somebody say amen? So I end with the question, what is our only safeguard? What is our only safeguard? Jesus is. But what has he given us to be our guide? He says in John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Come on, say it with me. And the truth shall make you free. Not set you, but make you. Not a single act, but an act that permanently establishes the church. You see, friends, when we are free in Christ, when we are free as a people, when we are free as a nation, when we have a freedom that can only be given in Christ, then we can let that freedom ring. And today... I'm saying today, it's time to allow the freedom available in Christ to ring nationwide. What do you say? Amen. Globally, let freedom ring. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, this freedom that you shed your blood for, this freedom that you raised up America to preserve, this freedom that is being chiseled away from us. Father, preserve the freedom through the shed blood of Calvary. There are men and women today who don't know this freedom. There are people looking for answers on the left and on the right. But Father, there's freedom on the hill called Mount Calvary. And this freedom cannot be taken away. Men may try to destroy it. Tyrants may try to stamp it out. But God's truth still marches on. And Father, today as we look back on 9-11 and all those tragedies, the souls that have gone off into oblivion without knowing, Lord, we seek to avert another crisis by proclaiming the undiluted three angels' messages. One that will counteract the aims of the enemy of the future. He's seeking to take America, to trample it, to stamp out its light, to take the Christian church and wipe it out. But today, Lord, we proclaim freedom in Jesus.
and we refuse to let it go. And so, Lord, may the freedom of Christ be felt in our hearts, in our lives, in our pulpits of America. May we get back to the Bible, the truth of God's word. May entertainment be less and freedom be more. May light be that which we are willing to give our lives for. We pray for our nation's leaders. We pray for our nation's first responders. We pray for those that are keeping peace throughout our nation day and night. But we thank you for the freedom found in Christ. So as we close this service, we pray that somebody would say, I want that freedom today. I want that freedom found in Christ. If that's your desire, reach out to us. Reach out to us through that website, americawhatsnext.com. And simply put there, I want to give my life to Jesus. We'll contact you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done and what you will continue to do. And we give all the praise and honor just to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.